You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hi, welcome to the latest episode of Scottish Football Forums podcast, season 10, episode 4. I'm John, I'm your host for this evening, and joined by Tony. You alright? I'm alright, how are you buddy? Good, good. And, uh, all set for Christmas? Aye, just about, more or less. Uh, get everything all kind of sorted, what have you, so far. So, um, I think I'm alright, just a few bits and bobs, that's it. Good, good. I was a wee bit light on tonight because I was wrapping presents, so aye, a bit awkward. The awkward shapes and all that type of thing. That sounds bad, but uh, yeah. <laughs> what kind of presents have <laughs> you been buying? <laughs> I can assure you it's nothing from Handsomers or that. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah um, and I'm pleased to announce that we've got Andy Skinner from the Press and Journal back on how you doing Andy? I'm good thanks John uh, the wrapping's all gone fine up here uh, no awkward shapes so far <laughs> 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 yeah good, good to be back uh, thanks for having us on yeah uh, we could make a joke about the time for giving and all that and time for receiving but that probably makes things worse oh, um, <laughs> Uh, start as we mean to go on um, so yeah great to get you back on and we couldn't have timed it better in terms of the unfortunate news about Stuart Quetel while uh, leaving Ross County um, and the circumstances obviously at the end of the game when it was announced yeah yeah I mean it was a, a the video of him speaking to the BBC certainly went pretty viral straight after the game um, just a number of people expressing their disbelief at seeing a manager conduct his own press conference after the match when he's announcing his own sacking it's not really something I've certainly never seen and you know a few colleagues that are longer in the tooth than I am said much the same um, you know it was it was just a, a, a strange turn of events so soon after the game it's not as if we were waiting around long you know he was he was prompt and um, I, I suppose it, it did come with that sense of shock that he was you know telling us that you know he wouldn't take the team again but um, you know I suppose they've, they've been on a a disappointing run in recent weeks and you know it, it was a massive game for County um, one that left them four points behind uh, you know any of their nearest challengers so you know there, there was a feeling that the you know the pressure was definitely mounting and I suppose one of the, the main points for discussion after the game would have been in you know in normal circumstances you know the, the topic of Stuart Kettlewell's future uh, so I suppose for for him to have taken the, the matter into his own hands and explain that you know he'd been relieved of his duties, it probably helped to to sort of prevent a, a couple of days of speculation. You know, had it not been announced by the, the club themselves, or had there been any any sort of discussion behind the scenes on it, um, it just allowed things to, to move on a wee bit quicker. And um, I think you know the, the reaction from county fans is a mixed one. I think that you know they've obviously been disappointed with how things have been going lately, but. And, and with that is a you know a wee bit of sadness because he's a you know a club legend from going back to his playing days yeah you know a very popular midfielder for the club and um, did wonders when he first broke into coaching as manager of their under 20s team him and Stephen Ferguson then got the the job of co-managers and um, although they didn't initially keep the team up they you know guided county back to Premiership at the first time of asking, so um, it's been a, a struggle for 
them at times in the last couple of seasons in the top flight. But, um, you know, Roy McGregor's obviously come to the decision that the, the change needs to be made just now because their, their position in the Premiership is, you know, increasingly looking under threat. Going into the game on Saturday, did you think or did you feel he was under pressure? Because um, looking at it from the outside in, up, it was quite a bit of a surprise, I think, to see on Twitter that he'd gone. Uh, but obviously you know more of the dealings of Ross County. You have you have more knowledge. What about on, yourself? On, did you think it was going to happen? On a personal level, I, I, I did see it reaching this kind of stage, uh, you know, if not on Saturday, certainly in the coming weeks, if things didn't turn around. Hmm. Um, I mean, the statistics don't make for good reading at all just now. Um, you know, that, that was a 10th straight game in the league that County haven't won. Uh, goes back to mid-September. I think they've only scored three goals in that time as well. Really struggled for creativity. Um, they've got, you know, habits of losing cheap goals, which never really have fully been eradicated. And I suppose that's what makes the the result at Parkhead in the in the League Cup uh, a few weeks ago, all the more of a, a you know a twist to the whole plot because you know at that point it seemed as if you, you know Stuart Kettlewell couldn't do anything wrong. You know it, it was a fantastic victory, and mm. I think what he was obviously hoping for at that point was it was going to you know be the spark to turn around their league form, which you know going into that game as well hadn't been good, but. They had a couple of tough league fixtures against Rangers and Aberdeen uh, that followed that one. It made you know any attempt to try and keep momentum going after the Parkhead heroics really, really difficult. And I think this last week in particular, when they've had a you know League Cup quarter final like down at Livingston, which they they lost two 0 then going into such a crunch league game against Hamilton. It seemed like this was now or never to try and turn things around and, uh, you know, just to to come away with, uh, you know, no semi-final place and no no, no victory from the game on Saturday. It, it probably just um, gave Roy McGregor a, a little bit too much concern over mm. the, you know, the, the prospect of County losing their, their top flight place, which, you know, he's desperate to to cling on to. So it, it obviously has just felt that something needed to, to be done to, to turn things around. Yeah, something you touched on there earlier is about creativity. That's something we've st- spoken about on the podcast earlier in the season. I felt County have got guys that will score goals, but there's no good having guys that will score goals if there's not guys providing them. And that seems to have been the big problem this season. Ah, it's been a strange one this season because, um, you know, Ross Stewart is, you know, the probably the guy that you'd associate with being their, their main source of goals. And although he scored six this season, I think five have been penalties in all competitions. Um, I mean, even just off the top of my head, looking back at, you know, the games that he's played, uh, you know, I can remember, you know, heaps of chances. He could <laughs> he could quite easily be sitting on 15 goals. He's, he has missed quite a lot. And I think it's just a, a symptom of County's lack of confidence all round. I think when they see... Their talismanic players uh, not getting the goals maybe plants that seed of doubt in the defence as well because um, it puts them under a wee bit more pressure to keep things tight. And, and as I say, although there have been some really good moments this season, uh, they, they got off to a, a fantastic start. 
yeah. won, won their first two games and it, it seemed as if you know things were, were moving on the up but um, it, it just has descended into a, a little bit of a rut in recent weeks and uh, I think that the lack of goals has, has really kind of highlighted that and it's just been the it's been the thing that you look for to give you know the fans and the, the club a little bit of inspiration you know was to, to maybe see a, a striker hitting form the closest they got to that was Ollie Shaw um, he, he had a good run which included a few Betfred Cup games around about October time uh, November maybe it was actually and then he got injured uh, I think he's just coming back into the team now but um, by and large there just hasn't been enough to really you know, make people believe that it, it is going to change uh, you know drastically anytime soon so uh, just a, a lack of confidence around the, the whole environment just now and um, there is a talented squad there and some talented attacking players but they've just been off colour for a bit too long There was a point in the game actually um, from the highlights that I saw that backs up everything that you've just said there was a 2-1 I think it was still 1-0 Hamilton at the point when Gardine had the ball and he's played a right to Mackay Billy Mackay yeah. yeah and what's happened is instead of thinking the first touch to cut left into the penalty box he took a right and he's went outside the penalty box. And by this time, the Hamilton players have all got back. If he cuts in left, he's one and one with the goalkeeper. Yeah. He takes it out to the right. And I think that highlights it because if you've got a striker in form, he's putting that left and he's got a shot. But because he's got no confidence, he's going out to the right to try and control the ball and look for someone else to hit it. Um, and I think. For me, we've said all season um, on on the show that the one thing is that they do they had a good start, but then they started. I think did they know they got a big heavy defeat off of somebody, from what I remember, and then they kind of started sliding down the table. Um, yeah, and, and that was them. Hi, they um, to, to go back on their early season form. The, the, as I say, they won back to back games against yeah. uh, Motherwell and Hamilton. There were a couple of games that they had at home they, they drew with Kilmarnock but had been in the lead in that game still went down as a decent point for them in the end um, lost a f- couple of games to Dundee United and, and Livingston and then they, they came into the, the really tough run Celtic Rangers Aberdeen in quite quick succession and, and they lost all those games quite heavily but I think although their start to the season had been good I think there was a bit of a frustration that they had probably come past perhaps their not their easy spell spell of the season, but the mm. you know the start to the season where they would have really wanted to to get their momentum going and and and, and try and gain a little bit of a, a head start on some of their rivals that were playing against the you know the likes of the old firm and, and Aberdeen. Um, I, I, saw, I saw them in the five 0 game Celtic Cross County five 0 up at Dingwall. And there was never a 5-0 game. They were really good. They were, I mean, Celtic scored with set pieces. Yeah. And, uh, toward, and it was towards the end they really killed them. Um, yeah. But the first half, they were really, really good. And they could have easily, you know, been in front of half-time or taken Celtic really on. But they just collapsed in the second half. And That's I right. Know, I remember, yeah, yeah. I remember being at that game. I think um, Barkas had one of his very few good games for Celtic that yeah. day. <laughs> he, um, <laughs> He bailed them out a couple of times. I think it was it was mainly Ross Stewart that he was he was denying. Mm. But um, 
I think it was it was cheap set piece goals that they were giving away, Aye. and that was that was their downfall last season by and large as well. They 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 lost a lot of goals last season. I think it was the the highest in the division by quite some distance. Um, even though the season was curtailed, I think they still ended the season with sixty goals against. Mm-hmm. Um, so defence was a clearly a, a major you know area for them to target an improvement in and. As I say, there have been moments where they've they've been better at, at it, but it's just the the all too familiar kind of habits that have crept back in again, and uh, yeah, just they've got themselves into into a bad run now. And I suppose it's it's going to be interesting to see if the you know the appointment of John Hughes can can make a, an immediate difference. Uh, yeah, I a, find yeah, I suppose if there was a surprise at Kelwell went. Maybe another surprise is how quickly Ross County have managed to get another man in. Because quite often you see nowadays clubs lose a manager and you're maybe waiting like a week, two weeks, or sometimes even longer for a new manager to come in. He obviously knows the area. Does he still stay up that way? No, he, no, he, 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 he left the area when when he left Inverness in 2016. Um, I mean, he's, he's based in Edinburgh. His family is down there. And I think something that he's spoken about in his interview to club television today is the fact that his uh, two daughters were you know kind of in their teenage years just as he was in Inverness so yeah. actually being out of football has given him a chance to, to sort of see them grow up but he's now kind of at a stage where you know he's, he's ready to to sort of uproot again and um, I mean he, he speaks really fondly of his time at Inverness it was largely successful um, you know he, he goes down in folklore for what he delivered Inverness in his first full season in charge when they won the Scottish Cup and finished third. He's the only manager that's ever taken them into Europe as a result of uh, well both of those achievements. So um, I think from memory, I, I I can I'm pretty sure I can remember him speaking highly of Roy McGregor in advance of some of the Derby matches. Um, you know, and just how impressed he was by what. Roy's built at Dingwall um, so I think you know maybe it's quite a close network up here you, you tend to find when you know you've got personnel that are involved in in, in either club um, there's quite a lot of crossover it's not a surprising thing to see a, an ex-Inverness manager cross the bridge and, and go to county and if you just look at the Ross County team just now it's it's littered with ex-Inverness players and a lot of them played for for John um, back in the day so you know I think there's, there was that that foundation of a relationship there and you know perhaps Roy didn't always envisage giving him the opportunity but maybe he just feels for the you know the situation that they're in just now the the time is right for an experienced pair of hands to, to come in and try and turn the situation around. Yeah I think something that's interesting as well is it's often forgotten about Ross County is how such a such a small place area they're punching way above their weight mm. in terms of size of population. Up that way, yeah. Oh, no, definitely for a, a town of five and a half thousand to you know have a, a well established premiership team. Uh, I mean, barring the season they went down, I think it's eight of the last nine years that they've been in the top flight now. So it's it, it is impressive that they managed to, to keep that going. They've I mean, Roy McGregor has clearly put a, a lot of backing into the, the club over the years and, and built the club from you know very kind of small foundations to begin with, but um, it's a great setup they've got there. You know, the facilities are 
fantastic and uh, just a very you know well-run and professional environment uh, that you know sort of breeds all throughout the, the club really that's what I was going to say my initial reaction if MD was to say Ross County would be well run they're, they're not a club that seems to over spend they're never a club that seems to be in financial difficulties you know I mean when you look at the fan base that they've got and um, where they are um, you, you know it could be easy for them to go well let's put a lot of money and see what happens and then they get into difficulties like a Gretna or even Falkirk if you want to look at a team who going to really big difficulties but they seem to be managed really really well uh, so I mean the, the guy the guy in charge deserves a hell of a lot of um, applause for doing that for, and keeping them stable as well because sometimes as well when you get to the Premier League it's not easy then keeping the team afloat financially a lot of people seem to think as soon as you're in the Premier League that's you you've made it to the Holy Grail and you'll have money to burn that's not always the case. I mean, you look at St Mirren now. I mean, St Mirren in financial, above a financial mess, and they've been in the Premier League for a while. So, fair play to the lad for keeping them in a even keel. Absolutely, Tony. No, I, I think that that's a good point when you you know compare it to clubs that have maybe tried to to make too much of a jump too soon. Um, mm. You know, you you do have to remember that it, it did actually take Cross County a good few years to to make the jump up um, Inverness. And County started in the the league in the same year back in 1994, and you know it was Inverness that that really did everything first. You know they they were the first team to get promoted pretty much through every single division, and um, obviously had a good stint in the the Premiership before, or the the old SPL as it was before County made the the step up for the first time themselves. Um, you know they were just ahead of County in terms of winning major silverware for the first time. And, uh, you know, they've they've now been in Europe and, and County haven't. So, um, aye, I mean, it, I think what he's been keen to do is is just grow County as a, almost a bit of a culture, really, uh, in the in the local area. And, you know, I think the, the Gretna example is is a good one in terms of, just how how not to do it really, just because it was yeah. you know such a small foundation um, and such an unsustainable model really to to try and create and you know just little subtle improvements like the way that the the ground and the training facilities have um, progressed over the years, um, even things like their youth setup. You know they're starting to see a few guys kind of break into the team this season. Um, I think it's all efforts that maybe go some somewhat unnoticed you know when you've you've not been to the to the ground itself um you know just trying to to build a you know a strong basis for county to to still you know have a say in you know the, the sort of the higher end of scottish football because you know I, I suppose roy mcgregor himself isn't going to be around forever you know there there won't always be that that safety net of a highly successful businessman to to kind of bail them out if they if they do find themselves in trouble, but by the same token, you know he's really keen to keep them, um, you, you know, as a top flight team. And when they went down um, a couple of years ago, it was I think made pretty clear to you know the co-management team at the time that they they needed to try and get back up at the first attempt. So um, you know, in, in a sense, they they really thrived under that pressure. Um, 
no, it's it's been interesting to to watch just how it's all unfolded in the in the last few years. And I think again another thing Roy McGregor's talked about is creating this sort of Ross County uh, ethos, whereby you know quite a lot of guys that have been successful players or you know successful figures at the club you know are involved in the coaching team, and you obviously see that with Stuart Kettlewell having been given the opportunity as manager with. Richard Britton, the former captain, is his assistant. And obviously one of the greatest Highland success stories of, of all time is Don Cowie, who, you know, started off his career at County and, you know, has come back uh, initially as a player and now moved into the coaching setup. You know, he, he might be a guy that, you know, has kind of been groomed for, you know, a similar sort of role to, to Kettlewell as the as the manager in, in, in years to come. Yeah, it's good to see John Hughes back in the game. No, we had him on the podcast it was maybe kind of April, kind of May time, and you could tell how passionate he is about the game, and he can talk for ages, and he's a good manager, that's the thing, like, it's forgotten about, I think the, the Wraith spell didn't do well, but they weren't doing particularly well when he took over, and had that short period from, I think it was February to the summer, whereas if you look at the likes of what he did at Inverness, at Falkirk, in particular as well, terrific record. Very much so, yeah. Um, the, the Inverness was uh, the one that I obviously witnessed when when he was in charge there. You know that was just after I'd started at the, the PNJ, so um, you know got a real sense of just how impressive a team he'd you know managed to, to, to develop there because it wasn't wasn't necessarily his own team. It was a, a side that was already doing quite well under Terry Butcher, but he just took them to the next level with the you know the style of football that he he coached and the, the really telling thing. Uh, about his absence from the game is, I mean, through the the lockdown period, quite a lot of former players were were doing pieces and you know features, uh, just reflecting on their spell at Inverness because it was five years since they won the Scottish Cup and you know so many of the guys uh, that played for him just couldn't believe how long he'd been out of the game and you know how those talents weren't being put to use in some way, you know, within football. Um, I think a lot of guys credit him with, you know, taking them to an area in their their own game and their own development that they didn't actually know existed. It was quite a, you know, a physical team that he inherited, but they were playing some lovely football. You know, it was all, you know, one touch, quick movement, passing, um, and you know, a lot of guys in that team have gone on to to fantastic things, as uh, you know, like Sir Ryan Christie. Graham Shinney, Marley Watkins, uh, you know, three examples off the yeah. top of my head. But um, I, again, I, a lot of them are at Ross County now. So I, I think there will be a lot of guys that are, you know, within that team, you know, really happy with this appointment. Aye, because, well, he'll have had the likes of Draper there, would not he? Draper, Tremarco, Vigers, Billy Mackay. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anyone else. Uh, but. I know it's it's a it, as I say it's a good squad the county you've got um, it'll be interesting to see what John Hughes does at this point though because what I do remember about his time at Inverness um, it was a similar situation in that he came in halfway through the season it was the year before they, they went on to win the Scottish Cup but again with it being Terry Butcher's team and his philosophy I don't think John Hughes was all that keen to to change too much midway through the season yeah, I think from what a lot of guys say, it was it was really during the preseason when when Yogi got the chance to to really implement his his vision and his ideas on their their playing style that 
that's when they really took off. So, you know, whether it's a similar approach and, you know, he just gently kind of eases his way um, into, you know, implementing that style. Um, it, yeah, it just remains to be seen in the, the coming weeks. But I suppose they, they are a team that do have quite a, a lot of, despite what their recent goals for column suggests, you know, there is quite a lot of spark there. So there, there probably is the, you know, the foundation for, um, you know, his type of play to, to come to the fore. But yeah, it's going to be an interesting period. I'm fascinated to see how it how it turns out. Yeah, one of the first things as well, I'll be trying to keep a hold of Ross Stewart in terms of he's out of contract at the end of the season. There's been speculation about Aberdeen maybe being interested and obviously there'll be other clubs down south interested as well. So that'll be the, the, probably one of the first big things. And then I would think, the things I always remember about Yogi is that he likes wingers, he likes wide players. So I would think he'd be looking at trying to get address that situation maybe at County. I don't feel that's an area they're particularly strong just now, maybe. Aye. Um, on the Ross Stewart one, I think, you know, from having spoken at length to Stuart Kettlewell about that situation, I think they are pretty resigned to losing him when this contract runs out. I think they probably came to a realistic decision that, although, you know, it would involve the, the sacrifice of a transfer fee for them, they were more intent on trying to, to get the best out of him this season to yeah. try and keep him in the division. So, um, I mean, whether he signs a pre-contract in January, it looks the most likely thing to happen, I, I would have to say. But, you know, whether their arm could be twisted by a, an offer that comes in, um I'm not too sure, uh, but yeah, I mean, the the wide areas uh, have tended to be, in the past, quite a, a strong area for County. The, Michael Gardine will be 35 in January, but, you know, he's still been one of their, you know, their prominent players this season, even though they, you know, they haven't scored too many. Um, I suppose with age will probably come a natural sort of, you know, inclination not to try and rely on him too much. You know, they'll they'll want to try and uh, you know protect his legs. And um, I guess they've got other wingers there. One that I look at that I'm a wee bit not underwhelmed by, but you know, I think there's probably more to come from is Jermaine Hilton that they signed um, kind of midway through the the season. Well, I think it was towards the end of the. Summer transfer window, but that was that was about October time. Yeah, but he's he's hardly kicked the ball, so can only assume that he's not made enough of an impression in training to to force his way into the team, or maybe just doesn't suit the, the style of play that Stuart Kettlewell was was going for. But I suppose with any new manager coming in, you know the opportunity will arise for for guys like that, and uh, you know it's a clean slate for everyone. So uh, you know. There could be, could be a few that you know get a a, a bit of a re- revival from from the change. Yeah, as much as maybe County will feel they have a point to prove, also John Hughes has a point to prove as well. So it could, be, I think, it's maybe a, a marriage between him and potentially. I think. Yeah, he's got got so much experience. Uh, as you say, going back to when he was at Falkirk, uh, I, I seem to remember him being pretty hard done by at Hibs as well because he, I think, he led them into Europe and. I think they got off to a poor start to the following season, but he um, he was quite quickly relieved of his duties in in the midst of that struggle. But um, a couple of spells 
uh, I think Livingston and Hartlepool down south before he went to Inverness. And the Inverness record speaks for itself. The Obviously, the time at Wraith Rovers wasn't successful for him at all. But um, I think, as, as you mentioned, you know, he came in pretty late during that season. And uh, I, I don't think, you know, it should be taken too much of a, a you know, a, a blot on his copybook. Um, you know, there, there are plenty of managers out there with, with experience that, you know, have had jobs that haven't gone well. And it, I suppose it has been a bit of a surprise to see it take so long for him to get another opportunity. But I guess he'll, over that time, have, you know, been pretty refreshed by the, the spell out the game. And as you say, just he'll, he'll be full of energy in terms of, you know, just determination to prove people wrong for, for why he's been out of the game for so long. You forget yeah. as well, he won Manager of the Year 2015. I mean, it's something like, you, you do totally forget, like John Hughes won it, especially in this day and age, you, you know. Um, for an Inverness manager to win Manager of the Year in Scotland is, is an incredible achievement, you know, and obviously winning the Scottish Cup for Inverness as well. You know, yeah, it does, certainly doesn't happen often, does it? No. no. Uh, I mean, from from memory, his second season wasn't as successful. Um, I think he had the inevitable consequence after they won the Scottish Cup of losing a lot of the players. Mm. And a club like Inverness had always kind of thrived on, you know, giving guys with a point to prove a bit of a chance. And I think for them to to sign players of the same quality was going to be well out with their financial capabilities, you know, to, to come in and make the same impact immediately. But um, I mean, I think they, they re- regrouped and finished seventh. I, I don't think they made the top six, but um, I think increasingly he did get frustrated at the, you know, the players that had left not being replaced and maybe a lack of willingness in the club's part to do it. But it's a very difficult balance to strike when you've had mm. that success so early on. And, um you know, it's not as if anything that happened in the second season has, you know, tainted his record at Inverness. It's, uh, you know, it's still regarded in, you know, massive kind of respect from from all former players and uh, and fans alike, you know, around the club. And you were saying before the podcast started tonight, you've got the privilege of us being on the, the conference tomorrow, the press conference. Yeah. That'll be interesting. Yeah. He's doing the press tomorrow for the first time, so uh, yeah, no, just be interested to see how he's changed in four and a bit of years since he left Inverness. I presume probably not at all. To be fair, I've, I've enjoyed listening to him on the radio. He's been quite prominent as a pundit, and yeah. I've actually bumped into him at one or two games and uh, before COVID times exchanged a handshake. But um, I know he was—he's always been good to listen to. Just such a passionate and enthusiastic guy. Um, you know, I think he had to to really put the put the hours in during his own playing career. He had to make a lot of sacrifices, uh, you know, to rise to the the level that he did. And you know, playing for for Celtic and you know, a good spell at Hibs as well as his boyhood club. So, you know, I think his attitude rubs off on others. And yeah. you know, there's a lot of a lot of people that will take a, a good bit of inspiration from that. I know, and we certainly wish him best of luck. As I say, when he was on the podcast, he was a terrific guest, and we could uh, listen to his stories for hours. Um, so uh, it's good to see him back in the game. Um, the, obviously, the other parts of the Highlands, in terms of Inverness, you do a bit of, kind of fair bit of coverage 
how do you feel things are going for them so far this season? Yeah, um, obviously they've their, their season's been shorter to this point. They only got up and running in October. Um, they, they had massive injury problems to start the season. It was a really, really young team that they, they started off with. Um, that's given an opportunity for some guys to, to really make their mark. And, you know, to be fair, most of them have done that. Yeah, you know, there was a Friday night game that you might have seen down at Queen of the South a couple of weeks ago where young Roddy McGregor scored a, a fantastic strike. And uh, Kai Kennedy's come in on loan from Rangers and made a, a big impact. But uh, it was a, a sore one for them on, on Saturday, just past. They were ahead against Alloa and lost the game 2-1, which uh, goes down as a, a bad day at the office. So I think they're... Their league position just now, I think they're sixth, and with a shortened season, they're clearly going to be, you know, intent on trying to break into those playoff positions sooner rather than later. Uh, they just don't want to become in any way detached. But they've they've had some really good results. They, they had a, a good solid two 0 home win against Wraith Rovers when Wraith were top at the time, actually. I think it might have been Wraith's first league defeat of the season. So I think um, John Robertson's had to perform another rebuild. He's kind of done that, wouldn't say every season, but throughout his time back at the club, you know, it largely has been a case of kind of replacing players that have, have you know, been tempted by the lure of the Premiership. So, um, you know, although the signs have been there that, you know, they've, they've, they've got a, a good team together, they're just going to be looking for that consistency now to, to kind of back up those promotion credentials I, I don't think they'll go up as champions I think Hearts will will do that quite comfortably this season but you know the playoffs does present them with a, an opportunity and you know the, the wee bit of feeling of being hard done by last season after you know coming second and not getting the chance to to compete for that so uh, you know they'll they'll certainly want to be right in amongst that Yeah I think they're only a point behind um, but Outside the top four, I think because quite a tight league and a point above Dundee, I think, um, who a lot of people thought would be right in the mix as well. So, you know, there's still a lot to play for for them. There is, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's certainly not panic stations by any means. They'll they'll see Saturday more as a missed opportunity more than anything. Um, but they've got a a game coming up on Saturday, another away game down at Morton. So, um, well, that's maybe a good. Good time to get Morton with all the financial issues and everything that's going on down there. With the fact that um, Hopkin left, um, and, and I don't think they've got a manager in, have they? I've not got anyone. No, in. I think it's still the caretaker. I think it's mm. the assistant. Uh, they've he won the last two though. Since uh, Hopkin went, they've won the last two games. Up yeah. to third in the table, it seems crazy. Uh, it's it's certainly given the assistant. Is it McElhone? I think um, I, I hadn't heard of him beforehand really but um, I, I don't know if he's a guy that's serious about getting that job but he certainly has done mm-hmm. his no, credentials no no harm at all um, but I, I with the turmoil that, that Morton are in off the pitch you know you'd, you'd think that Inverness would see it as a, a bit of an opportunity but um, no it has been a, a good couple of results the Dunfermline one was a, a real surprise because you know they've they've been a, a team that's looked Really capable of, you know, keeping that challenge going. They've they've almost looked like the the most likely threat to Hearts. Mm. I I think we always say the championships are tough. It's such a tough league to get out of. Has, has been shown in the past, but this season particularly, you think Hearts will maybe run away with it in the end. 
aside from that, you've probably got six teams campaigning for three playoff spots. Yeah, I think that's where Dundee have been really just disappointing, you know, just in not managing to to put that 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 biggest challenge in on Hearts because, you know, in terms of budget, it, you know, I don't think they'll be spending as much as Hearts, but they'll be comfortably second and, you know, a good distance above the likes of Dunfermline. So, um, yeah, no, Inverness are probably around about the, the midway point in terms of spending, but, you know, they've, they've certainly got promotion intentions and um, I think the fact that Inverness are still ahead of Dundee, they'll regard as being a, a success to some extent, but I guess it's trying to, to break in past some of those other teams that are, that, you know, that have started the season a, a wee bit better than them. And, I've, yeah. just got the, I've just got the league in front of me here, so you've got Hearts at top with 18, and in the next three, you've got Dunfermline in 15, Morton in 13, Wraith Rovers in 12. And then after that, the next three, you've got Air United in 12, Inverness in 11, and Dundee in 10. So ah. John John was saying, it's, it's such a tight league. Yeah, so much to play for there. Um, and I guess Morton's back-to-back wins just shows you mm-hmm. what a difference that can make. You know, it can jump you up several places in the table because, you know, they, they weren't really being seen as uh, you know, contenders in the early part of the season. To be honest, they they were very rarely tipped. Uh, from what I, you know, was consuming. So, um, the, the weird thing about Morton is their goal difference is minus three. Right, uh, yeah. Shows how strange that league is. Yeah, shows how strange that league is. And, and the goal difference is minus three. Um, and then even taking oh, into account Aloha, who we were talking about, who were, were maybe struggling. They've won the last two games. So. There does seem to be like a lot of fans unhappy because I was reading um, online a lot of Queen of the South fans are concerned because they're bottom at the moment. Yeah. They, they were worried. And then I've seen a tweet that Patrick Barkley um, was involved in about Dundee fans um, not happy about the way things were going with them. But it's one of those leagues, there's really. Obviously, I think everybody predicts Hearts will probably run away with it, and then there's really only there could be a possibility that nobody goes up if the SPFL then Premier League team wins the playoff against whoever wins between second, third, and fourth. Um, it's so hard; it really is. That's that's what's made it really difficult for for teams to go up is the fact that there have been, you know, so many big guns. Uh, as in serious big guns that have been in the championship yeah. in recent seasons. I mean, you look at the fact that Hibs took three attempts to get out of the league, mm. Dundee United four. Rangers uh, two. All of a sudden, Rangers two, yeah, mm. absolutely. All of a sudden, when you see United going up this season, you think, oh, maybe this will give someone a chance, but then, no, no, hearts come down. So, yeah. um, no, it is, it's a, it's a brutal league. Um, I think it's healthy for, for Scottish football to have that strong second tier mm-hmm. um, and teams that are capable of of challenging, um, you know, the the teams at the bottom end of the Premiership, because I suppose that makes the the race to avoid the playoff relegation spot in the Premiership all the more mm. of a, an important one. Because you, you know, although it does appear that there is an advantage for the team that finishes eleventh compared to the team that comes through the promotion playoffs, um, it's certainly not a position that anybody wants to be in when the likelihood is that you know, following a season of toil they're they're going to be pretty bereft of momentum and confidence so uh, I think it was, just having that 
It was Hamilton that relegated Hibs, wasn't it, in the playoffs that year? Yes, yeah. aye. Yeah, I mean, nobody gave Hamilton a chance, I remember. Everybody said, no. oh, Hibs are fun favourites, wouldn't be a problem. And there, there was Hamilton. And I generally think the bottom three, four in the Premier League would all have a game against any of them in the top four, five in the Championship, especially away from home. Away from home, I think... The big games. Absolutely not. It's been a, it's been a brilliant addition for entertainment value over the years. Just having that playoff, um, yeah. and there've been some some brilliant playoff finals over the over the years. Um, I'm trying to think if there's other teams that have gone up through the playoffs. Livingston, I think, did it against Partick Thistle, didn't they? Um, yes. I think St Mirren obviously beat Dundee United, and then it never happened last season, but. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's not it's not been many, but you know it has happened. I think on two occasions now. So, what were your thoughts on the uh, like restructuring? Would you have been in favour? Would you have fancied it? Yeah, I I probably would have gone for it. Um, but I didn't ever see it likely to happen. Just I, I don't think there were enough clubs that really would have they, they would have you know looked at their own balance sheets, and I can completely understand why they wouldn't yeah. entertain the idea of. You know, splitting the, the shade of the top table any further, and you know, don't necessarily blame them for doing that. You know, it was a time of need for, for, you know, finance among every club. But I think it probably would have been the, the fairest way. There, there would have been different ways of doing it, and you know, some were more radical than others. But you, you know, off the top of my head, you know, the idea of you know a fourteen-team Premiership, and even at the lower end, you know, the, the teams that won the Highland and Lowland leagues. Going up as well, um, it just it would have saved the pain of relegation and rewarded promotion. So, on a fairness level, it probably would have been the the, the right outcome for me. But um, well, it certainly gave us plenty to write about for several weeks when there was not a hint of a ball being kicked. So, uh, even though it didn't happen, it was uh, it was a bit of a saviour. The whole discussion over it. Well, what teams, sorry, when you go twenty. I was going to say, I was going to say, well, sometimes Scottish football can be better when there's no football played. All oh, the off the field stuff. <laughs> oh no, it was it was a big uh, kind of fear, really, just as soon as season was curtailed in March, because no mm. one knew at that stage how long it was going to be. So, no, it was it was a strange old period. Were you worried you were going to have to be covering the toilet roll challenge instead of any, any sporting <laughs> action? <laughs> Actually, um, Ross County did a. I think it was a 70 keepy ups challenge. I don't know if you remember that one going around. Right. I think it I think it probably emanated from the toilet roll challenge, but I think it was Stephen Ferguson that, that first came up with it. It was uh seventy keepy ups, pretty much the whole county squad did it. The uh I'm not sure if the, the offer went to the press, the local press, but um I think my excuse at that time was that I actually self-isolated for a week. I, I lost my smell at the end of March. So, All right, okay. Um, and that was that was before it was even really a symptom, to be honest. That was that was um, certainly officially acknowledged as being a, a reason to self-isolate in the UK. But I'd seen by then that other countries were, you know, using that policy, and uh, it just seemed like the safest thing to do at that time. So, uh, although it didn't affect me in any other way, I was I was still working from home at that time, but. Um, yeah, didn't want to be seen out in the garden even. <laughs> <laughs> I, and, and I couldn't have reached seven to keep you up anyway. That's probably the, <laughs> the safest way of <laughs> explaining it. 
So what's your role been like then during kind of COVID in terms of adapting and reporting and doing whatever you do on a daily basis? Ever, ever since March, I've been working from home uh, through the week. We do have an office in Inverness. I mean, I'm the only sports reporter in the office. It's a, a regional paper and we've got a North edition. So, you know, I am kind of used to being the, the, the sort of sole member of my team that's working in the, that particular office anyway. But um, the work from home situation was something to get used to to some extent, but I was also quite well prepared for it by, you know, being kind of used to working remotely when I'm at games. I've got my laptop with me yeah. when I'm covering games. So, you know, it probably didn't come as much of a shock to me as it did some of my colleagues on the, the news side of things, maybe. Um, I've got a flatmate here in Inverness who works at the paper as well as a news reporter. So we've, we've managed to kind of keep a, a good bit of crap going all the all the way through. And um, I guess the, the other real advantageous factor for me being a sports reporter since August has also been the opportunity to get out to games which um, you know provides me with a, a change of scenery at the weekends that yeah. I was badly missing during the summer but, um, you know that during these times when you can get a bit housebound it's it's been you know quite uplifting to to be able to get to the games even though it's nowhere near what it's like as normal with the fact that there's not been not well until recently, there haven't been crowds. We've had 300 at the, the recent games in the Highlands uh, up in Tier 1, but uh, that's a way to change as of Boxing Day. Yeah, definitely. And then the Highland League obviously only just started at the end of November. So how's that yeah. been going so far? Have you been making it to games there as well? I or... haven't been to a Highland League game per se. I covered quite a lot of Brora when they were in the Betfred Cup. They, yeah. um, I was down at Easter Road where they gave a great fight, actually, and lost 3-1 in the end. But um, uh, they didn't qualify, obviously, through the, the group stage. But that was about a month or so before the Highland League started. So it was there were, there were all sorts of doubts about the Highland League starting as well because the I, I don't think the clubs wanted to go ahead without there being crowds. Um, and the decision was taken quite early on that the, the league, if it did go ahead, was going to be one round of fixtures. So that's made it a fascinating um, kind of battle for the title this year. The fact that, you know, all the, the title contenders are only going to play each other once. And, you know, although most of the favourites got off to a good start in the, the opening couple of rounds of fixtures, saw a couple of, you know, pretty damaging blows to a couple of sides on, on Saturday just past there. The, um, the one that really stood out was Bucky beating Rothis 5-1. Uh, Rothis were a, you know, a, a team that have been kind of tipped to provide some kind of challenge to Brora, who are you know, inevitably the, the favourites. But I suppose the fact that there is that one round of fixtures will give a, an awful lot of other teams hope of mounting a, a, a challenge. And um, you know, if any of them are going to do it, then they have to be consistent as the... <laughs> Um, the one way of looking at it, you know, so it's going to be really interesting to see how that unfolds in the coming weeks. Yeah, it's funny, I was thinking the other day about you, not in, the, in terms of the Highland League, but adapting and different things like that. When we'd last spoken to you in the podcast, you were kind of covering the Scotland games and different things like that. So, in a normal situation, you'd have likely been in Serbia, wouldn't you, for the game? Uh, I don't do every Scotland game. I, there was a spell when I was doing a load of Scotland away games. I think the last one I did was uh, Kazakhstan. 
I was over in Kazakhstan for the 3-0 loss and I've never been asked to do one since, so <laughs> you can read into that what you will. <laughs> but, um, no, that was that was an interesting trip. Uh, some place, actually, but oh, just a, a horrendous feeling afterwards. But um, I was actually booked up to go to Serbia if we had drawn them. Um, our, our papers uh, owned by the same company as the Dundee Courier, so we we kind of split who does the the Scotland away trips. Uh, whoever's covering for either paper will do the the coverage for both. And had it been Norway, it was going to be the Courier. But uh, of course, this was before the the Israel game was was played. Yeah. So if it was Norway, it was the Courier, and if it was Serbia, then it was myself. So uh, had to cancel that trip in March. And yeah, just we covered it off the the telly for the the day that it finally went ahead, which. Uh, Oh, yeah, I mean, I would have loved to have been there, but it just would have been such a strange feeling being over and, uh, you know, not having any Tartan army around to, to sort of share mm-hmm. in it with. Yeah, at least you have the Euros to look forward to in terms of covering. I'd imagine you'll get to those games. Hopefully, yeah. The fact that there's a couple of them that are essentially home fixtures is, yes. you know, just brings its own novelty, really. It's it's a rare, you know, kind of thing for a... Uh, you know, for a major tournament to, to be going into games at Hamden, but uh, it does provide a, a bit more of an opportunity. Uh, maybe even Wembley, you never know. Yes. Yeah. A, a question, usually I do kind of slow fire, slow fire stuff at the end of the podcast, but I'm just thinking just now, what event in sporting history would you most most wish you had covered? I can probably think what it is. I probably know what it is, but what, what event do you think you would most want to cover? That's been already... What event would I most want to cover? Off air, um, off air, you said England winning the World Cup. <laughs> 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 to be honest, in in terms of a realistic one, I probably would look towards that game at Wembley in the summer. Um, just if Scotland were to win that, I can just imagine it being just so euphoric. But if we're not going too realistic, I would, I would, I would hold out for the the glory and, and go for Scotland actually winning the Euros. To be honest, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. No, we've spoken about that as well. Like that, you get we get carried away in terms of well, well, without the tournament, you never know what might happen in terms of looking at what's happened in the past, with likes of Denmark and Greece and different things like that. So, uh, well, even uh, even Wales at the um, last Euros, to be yeah. honest, they, they got to the semi-finals. So yeah, no, I was I was playing playing things too safe there. I'm. I'm 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 gonna not say Wembley. I've I've covered Scotland at Wembley before. But it was the game we lost three nil um, under Gordon Strachan. But uh, I, obviously, this game in the summer is going to take on a whole different magnitude. But no, let's let's push the boat out. I'm I'm going to say advance in the Euros and uh, a game where Scotland have the opportunity to win a major trophy. That's <laughs> that's the answer. Absolutely. No, definitely. Uh, so moving on, I think we'll cover the Scottish Cup before we cover the league action. We might not even cover much of the league action, but the Scottish Cup yesterday, what a crazy, crazy game. Tony, how were you during the game, eh? <laughs> oh, I tell you what. Oh, oh. Do you know what? At halftime, I was, a, I was in a happy place. Okay, but, enough. We don't, but, we don't need to hear but, you, what you did at, at halftime. Hey, you know me. I'm not known for my happiness. Were you I'm going one of those uh, parcels I was talking about earlier? <laughs> <laughs> the chocolate buttons were nowhere to be seen. <laughs> However, by the end of the game, I, I, I just didn't know what was 
going on in my head, to be honest with the, the, the end of the penalties. And I was made, I was absolutely made up. I mean, I, I don't think in all my lifetime I would have seen Celtic win four trebles. You, you know, I think that's something, God, it's like football manager stuff, that. You know, um, especially before the four trebles were won, I think Celtic could only ever win three. And, you, you know, and in the whole career of the club. Mm-hmm. So it's not as if trebles and Celtic come hand in hand. Um, the game itself, I thought Hearts kind of had a good game plan actually at the beginning. What they tried to do was they tried to get Celtic to play through the middle um, and not use the wings. So they were trying to push Celtic to get everything all through the middle and they were kind of bulking up in defence. Um when Celtic got the goal, that's when Hearts then kind of lost their kind of composure. They didn't know whether to stick or twist at that point in that formation, i.e. push up or just kind of hold back. And you kind of seen gaps. Um, and I thought first half Celtic played really well. thought they'd done well. Um, they were getting crosses in. Um, were causing problems. And then second half, Hearts changed it to a three-five-two, um, and then when Hearts changed it to a three-five-two, Celtic started well, but then couldn't seem to cope with their midfield, and then obviously the first goal goes in, and it's yeah, um, panic at the back again. It's kind of strange because at half time you're thinking Celtic have turned a corner here. They weren't looking as fragile defensively, they were looking mm-hmm. pretty pretty good. And then the worst start possible in terms of the second half. Well, kind of ha- players start kind of getting worried again and thinking back to recent bad results. My, my, my theory is I think Hearts were kind of hold, holding out to be at 0 0 at half time, which Kelly had done. Ross County had been 1 0 up at half time in the cup game. And teams have managed to do against Celtic, it's like hold out to half time. And, and then kind of work the game out, try and see what was happening. I think when Celtic scored first through Christie's goal, which was a peach, yeah. you know, I mean, it was individual brilliance rather than something creative by by the team um, that got that goal. And that kind of threw them out. So when half-time comes, they've thought, well, we need to change this completely. Because if we stay as it is, it's just going to be Celtic, Celtic hitting us all the time. And we're not going to get out to attack. So they changed it, as I said, to the three-five-two. Um, they put that boy um, Janelli on. Yeah, he, uh, he was really good. He, he was, Yeah, I mean the thing is, if he could have actually finished, he would have won them the cup because he yes. had a great chance at the end. He skied it over the bar. He had the one where um, Julian and Duffy kind of collided. A la Willie McLeish. I was like, um, to you. Yeah, yeah to do. Except without the actual contact. They just kind of stopped. Yeah. Me to you. And it went through them. And he was one and one with Connor Hazard. And he just couldn't get the ball out. Now, if he had a wee bit of finish about him, then Hearts would have won that in normal time. And that's what the worry is with me. Because that Celtic defence is probably our main defence. It's not like... It's a backup defence or it's a defence of injuries in there and we've got other players to come in. Going forward, that will probably be our main defence. 
Uh, no, that was that was a particularly chaotic moment. That one, mm-hmm. um, it just it came at a stage in the game where Hearts were starting to get a foothold and just growing in belief all the time. Because um, the first half, as as you say, it it, it did remind me in so way, many ways of the the semi final. Actually, it, it seems yeah. as if it was the same, well, same opening goal pretty much for a for a start. Yeah. Uh, but uh, kind of the start to the second half that Hearts got off to was where things changed because it, it just highlighted the you know the belief that hearts were able to generate and and also you know the, the trepidation that, that set into Celtic from from there and um there, there were other times where Craig Gordon did have to, to come up with big saves though it's mm. one from Edward uh was it not long after Boyce's goal I think that could have yeah quickly yeah. restored the two goal cushion he, he had a really good game Craig Gordon although the, the penalty shootout didn't go go his way um, you know he did come up with a couple of key saves and um, this was season with Ed- was it Edward Benenka mind you know was he he seemed to no. go a bit raging about that I don't really yeah. get it no I don't understand why he was so I I, I just think he's kind of lost a wee bit because it's a goal that's went in and it's been a Penenka I mean when you're in goals I suppose the last thing you want is somebody to do a Penenka on you you know, ah, in a cup feel final. Yeah. yeah. I, I think he's but, just in his head, he's like, Oh, that's well but I'm surprised the way he reacted, to be honest. Uh, there has been some criticism of Edward and uh I, I don't really see it. You know, I don't I don't think penalty takers should be duty bound to to put the ball where you know, I don't think there should be any moral code for where you can put the ball. No. Uh it's up to him to do what he likes and, and it's, you know, by doing that he's putting himself in a pretty pressurized situation anyway. Because mm. if it goes yeah. wrong then it looks like a fool. So that's the only reason I don't like Penekers is because it makes you look terrible. I remember Jason Cummins done it for hips. Remember? That's and right. He tried yeah. to do one, and he did. He hit it over the bar. He hit the, 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 he hit the, the bar. Actually, bar, yeah. yeah. Oh. I, I remember him doing one in a, a semi-final or something for hips, and it looked yeah. awful. And then there was that one couple of weeks ago. The boy v West Brom, he tried to do a Penenka, and he ran up, and he kind of tripped. And I went straight into the goalkeeper's hands. I the boy at Fulham. Yeah. yeah, or Fulham was. I sorry, I, I knew there was one of, one of them. Um, that that's one reason why I don't like it because if it doesn't go for you, get you, God, you, you're going to get dogs abuse. But Absolutely. Other than that, I've, I've got no. It's about a skill, isn't it? Though. Yeah, if you can like do it's... it, do it. I mean, there's, there's, don't, I've got no issue ever being some sort of like get around you to the goalkeeper or something. Yeah. I, I, I really don't think. That was the case. I think it was just a case of doing the get the best way of scoring for him. But funny enough, we were talking about earlier on uh, there about um, Ross County and their attitude with regards to being unable to score and mentally. That's what happens with Celtic when somebody scores against them. Mm-hmm. If somebody scores against Celtic, you can see the fear and the panic come in because every high ball has started coming into the box. It was like battle stations. I mean, I don't know how many times corners were coming in and would win the header and it would fall to Berra at the edge of the box. I mean, there was one in the first half at early doors and there was another one with Berra hit over the bar and it seemed to be from corners or set pieces that they were always falling to Hearts players. If you look at the second goal and the third goal, the ball actually, the second goal in particular, goes right across and comes back in. The third goal was exactly the same. It goes right across the line and then gets headed back across for Giannelli to tap it in the far post. Yeah. It's, 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 a, it's a bit of a concern 
to be honest with you. The thing I thought, see, I think it was the equaliser. See the role that Stephen Naismith plays in that is massive nah. in terms of not letting Hazard come off his line. He was a lucky boy to be on the park. Well, uh, at, at that uh, point, uh, I mean, that that was nutty, definitely. Uh, um. And I think if if he hadn't been a BBC presenter, I think it'd been highlighted a lot more because he'd done that, and then there was one with the elbow he'd done in Brown, um, and then he kept kind of falling in the box every time there was corners. I think the elbow yeah. was actually just before they equalised. That was a, I think that was a corner equalised because he was told off, and then Brown and him were like, right. Mm. Have to kind of stay separate, and I'm pretty sure that was the one whereby because the equaliser, the stamp happened literally just before Christie's goal. The stamp happened, and the ball went out. Now I think, personally speaking, because when the stamp happened, it was a bit of a coming together with the players, and I think that actually worked against us because I distracted them a wee bit. Mm. So when when the throwing comes in, they're still kind of thinking about what's happened with the Brown and Naismith. And it's given that space for Christa to get in and call the ball. Um, so what I thought worked against them in that aspect. Uh, but it's hard because it's, it's great. It's, as I said, it's fantastic as one, isn't it? But it still doesn't... It feels like it just covers the cracks at the minute. Because Edwards still... He's, he's done a lot of those shots where either lacks out or tail, cut to the left, cross it in, and he'll go to Edward, and what he does is, instead of trying to hit her, he tries to place her, but he places the ball straight at the goalkeeper. And there's, been, there's been a lot of them this season on doing that. Um, so there's problems up front, and there's problems at the back with Celtic. Midfield is okay as long as everything's going together. It's when things don't go together and panic stations happen, they are about all over the place. Um it's, it's, I'm, do you know what? I sound like I'm not happy that we've won. I'm made up that we've won. But it's just. Oh. Must be difficult being a Celtic fan, all these trophies and disappointment. <laughs> do you know what, though? <laughs> Listen, I'll, t- I'll tell you this right now. I-, I was speaking to one of my mates last night. We were talking about this. And I was saying, like, if this had been done fair, and say we'd played in the Cup Final Championship team night and we drew three each and it went to penalties, everybody would be going mental. But because it's Hearts in the Championship, you go by the name Hearts, so you automatically think it's a Premier League team and it's a big challenge and all that kind of thing. So you kind of go with that. But if it had been done firmly to take this to three each in penalties, you'd be asking, well, why have Celtic not blown them out of the water? I think, I think that's a good point. Yeah. All right. So I think the game certainly showed that Hearts look like they're back on the up again. They yeah. look like they probably will, you know, provided that they... They do win the championship. They'll probably do well in the Premier League next season. You know, they'll they, they look like they're ready to to sort of regroup after what's been such a turbulent spell for them. So, um, second half in particular, they were really good. Hearts were really, really good second half. I mean, Celtic. Well, I would say the last twenty five minutes were under the cosh. I mean, balls coming in the midfield was all over us and, and you kind of you knew it was coming you, you, you knew that the equaliser was going to come at some point because of the amount of possession hearts were getting the only thing you could hope for is that feeling that sometimes when a team gets that amount of possession and doesn't take their chance you think that's a we may create something and get a third and finisher and do something like that but as the half went on 
he just kind of thought Hearts are, are having more and more chances. And as I said, that boy Janelli had a great chance at the end. Um, yeah. And he hit it over the bar. I mean, that goes in. That's it. We've got Celtic's got no time to get back into. Uh, he made a real impact when he came on. I don't yeah. think he was fit to start the game. I think he's just come back into the team following an injury. But mm. um, I remember I, I saw him in one of the Betfred Cup ties that they played in Bernessen uh, earlier in the season, and he looked really, really good. Uh, just a, a totally direct and um, his pace you know, is phenomenal. Winger. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, it made a, made a huge impact when he came on. So how did you celebrate last night, Tony, with the, the victory? Aye, so, it's, it's, I've said to you before, it's weird ones when there's no fans and everything, you know what I mean? Because it didn't feel like a cup final. The build-up was strange. And we were saying last week, I mean, there was practically nothing in the papers really about it until... But the Friday or something, I think there was nothing yeah. really. So I, I didn't feel like the Scott and even the celebrations at the end. There seemed to be like five minutes of celebrations, and then yeah. that was it, cut off. You know, normally you, you get about like about a good half an hour afterwards or something. You know, it was just like that's a let's get songs of praise on or something. You know, <laughs> that's, what, <laughs> that's what I felt. That's what I felt like. But um, I, you know, I, I did. Um, me and the missus got a wee Indian in, we had a, f- a few wee drinks when we put the wee man down, so um, I kind of celebrated Ce- that way. Celebration. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, hopefully we'll get to experience a, a wee trophy win in the, the near future. Uh, I still think the 2014 League Cup final, I don't feel I got a chance to properly celebrate it. Is that right? Yeah, it's kind of weird. Why, why was that? Yeah. I don't know, it just Working the next day or something? No, no, I think just think it did. It did he feel? It just felt weird. I don't know. I think maybe because you went in with so much expectation that we would win it and win it at normal time and then going to penalties and just, aye, uh, it was weird. I celebrated all right afterwards. Good night after it, but just not, maybe not to what I expected. Maybe when the Scottish Cup, when we win the Scottish Cup, that's, that'll be the, the big one. Aye. Uh, oh, well, I think that's definitely the target now, but um, my, my recollection of that final was it was a totally shattering experience. I, I remember coming out of that game feeling knackered. Yeah. Just having been through the ringer, but um, oh, nothing that a couple of beers didn't perk me up from. <laughs> <laughs> Aye. Uh, that, was the, that was the Celtic Park one, wasn't it? It was, yeah. It was, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was a huge support by Aberdeen that day. Yeah, tremendous. Well, just on that aside think... note as well, actually with the Scottish Cup final, does anyone know why they've changed the TV angles? Because ah, the pitch looks so well. small. Doesn't Aye. it in the new stand and the sort of the other stand look so small? It's only for cup games as well. All the Scotland yeah. games have been just as normal, but the the two semi finals and the final have both had this strange angle. I, I don't know if it's too many cameramen with the game being covered on multiple channels. Mm, and they need maybe. to spread out from the because it looked as if all the other you know the the written press were were in the you know the seats just above the dugouts. You could see yeah. bodies in there, but. No, it's a, that's a strange one. I haven't really heard an explanation on that. It's, it, it's, it's, a bit... it's it looks because I thought the pitch looked really tight. It felt like being a Hamden. Actually, it's strange Aye. enough because I feel like the pitch was dead small. Because from the other side, because obviously you're, you're higher up with the cameras, must be the pitch looks a lot bigger. 
So you can kind of get to see a lot more what's going on. And it seems uh, sometimes when the ball was going to the, the far left-hand side, it was just like crowded with players. And you, you weren't quite getting the best view as you would normally uh, get from the other side. I tell you, one man that won't be complaining is Ryan Christie because he's scored two absolute Aye. stunners that you've been able to follow all the way in from that yeah. angle. And if it had been the other way around, I'm sure it would still look equally spectacular. But just that... Would it be as that, good uh, looking? That, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't see the curve? No, that angle yeah. has, has done both those strikes the, the justice that they deserve. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so we'll move on to the league. Actually, I don't know if we'll cover the Premiership much, to be honest. We might just kind of skim by it. Um, there was a game on Saturday, and then obviously the Aberdeen game on Sunday. I felt the Aberdeen game was quite a routine win. I don't think Kamara called for very much. Um, you don't like to talk about it, but I do feel Alex Dyer must be under a wee mm. bit of pressure. Uh, really struggling for goals. Was it one goal in the last six games, I think? Is it five they games never, in a row? They've not they scored really, now? They never even looked like nah. scoring yesterday, I don't think. Um, but I thought they were Maybe really the fact that another team is now acted in, in Ross County, you know, it probably does bring a, a wee bit of pressure on. But no, that that was my sort of feeling about the game as well. Kilmarnock had quite a lot of crosses that came in, but there was never really a, a great sustained period of, of goal threat, you know, where it looked as if Aberdeen were under the cosh. I, I was actually more confident than some people I was speaking to during the game that Aberdeen were actually going to go and score a, a second on the counter-attack. Yeah. You know, they actually posed quite a decent threat on the break throughout the whole game and quite wasteful t- at times. Uh, Conor yeah. McLennan missed a couple of big ones and he played well. I think McLennan played really well. That's yeah. Like... Uh, no, he's been in and, out, in and out of the team throughout his whole Aberdeen career, but um, just didn't go for him on the... Scored, scored a harder goal, the one that he got, than the one he was through one-on-one with the goalkeeper. Yeah, it's it crazy for a large drop, though, isn't it? In terms mm. of, like, it's 1-0... Why get like why pull him back and get set off? Maybe just a natural reaction. Yeah, he, he's probably thinking I'll, I'll take one for the team here and see if we can like, kind of hold out and we'll just stay one 0 But or he wants Christmas off. You know, you can watch at Christmas anyway. <laughs> 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 but, uh, but yeah, terrific record. We've got rugby part eighteen games unbeaten and I uh, one may continue. Uh, but go back to Saturday, one, uh, Rangers. Maybe a, maybe a game, I think, going 1-0 down last season, I think they would have dropped points. Mm. Whereas this season, yeah. they're just a machine just now. They, they get the win. Yeah, no, it just it showed their strength and depth, really. Because uh, Morelos obviously missed out again, but uh, Roof got two and E10 scored as well. So, um, no, I think, I mean, it m- would have been frustrating for them. Maybe it's a situation where they benefited from not having a crowd as well, because... The frustration of the home fans wasn't, yeah. you know, something that turned against them as, as the game wore on. Um, it would have done under normal circumstances. There's no doubt about that. So, um, no, they, they did well to come back from that one. Aye, they uh, look good, Rangers. Actually, I mean, all through the game. I mean, Motherwell scored, and by all accounts, just kind of shut up shop after that. Um, uh, they just kind of held out for as long and I think Motherwell will probably be disappointed in the first goal because there seemed to be like a few errors that there was a bit there was a mix up with the back pass the goalkeeper's in hit the, and it's kind of it's one of those ones he's not really got any height onto it uh, and Rangers have built up you know um, so once I, I generally think once Rangers equalised 
you kind of thought, I think there was like 15, 20 minutes left, you thought, yeah, they'll go on to win this now. Yeah. Uh, there was poor defending it. All the goals, actually. The, the second mm. one was a free header at a corner, and then the third one, there was an attempted clearance that didn't come off as well. Um, I think Paul was trying to do a drag back in the, his own penalty. Uh, what are you doing? Just get it away. Uh, <laughs> also goes to show as well that, to be fair to Rangers, that they've got a good bench, because I think um, some of the, the subs that they brought on were involved with the second and the third goals. Um, so I mean that kind of shows you that they have got a wee bit of depth whereas teams like Motherwell when they're tiring they, they don't have that you know they're, they're having to rely in bringing either young players on or they're having to rely in the, the professional players who have been there for a long while being tired but trying to use their head and trying to hope that nobody with a bit of speed catches them out so I, for Rangers They've got such a good squad now that they can bring on players that can change the game for them at any time. Yeah, definitely. Uh, moving on to the other games, St Mirren continuing their fantastic run. Uh, I thought at 2-1 down, maybe that was a high test of nerve, but again, got through after a hard victory in the, the League Cup last week as well. Yeah, they were, I mean, massively helped by uh, Jason Kerr sending off... Um, the, just looked a, a pretty silly one to lunge into. I don't think there was a massive amount of contact, but you just they didn't need to, to go in so forcefully, you know. And yeah. um, I think I mean it took St. Mirren a while to, to break St. Johnson down, but um, yeah, I think Callum Davidson's reaction to the challenge was pretty telling, and you know how that affected the game. Mm-hmm. St. Johnson are a funny team. You you never quite know what to expect for St. Johnson. One minute. They're doing really well, and then the next they'll, they'll, they'll draw points somewhere. And like I, I know someone have been doing really well, and I think it was it nine games, ten games yeah, now, eleven games, eleven. You, you know, but I've the thoughts in Johnson, a two-one up, may have got a draw out of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Bear in mind that they only lost the goals I think in the last ten minutes. They lost yeah, the two yeah, goals. Held on for a while. Yeah. Yeah. So. St. Johnston for me are just a strange team because they seem to do really well one week and then, as I say, the next week they seem to not be as good for whatever reason. I don't, I don't get it with them. They had a good run of their own, but I think that problem is even when through the good run, it's draw, a lot of draws they were getting. Mm. They need to learn how to win games again. But I think St. Johnston are What was that? So, sorry, on, on you go. No, on you no, Sorry, right, well, just just on St. Johnson, they seem to have got Stevie Maybach scoring again, which has um, mm-hmm. obviously been something that you know quite a lot of managers have tried now, and uh, no, it, it's obviously it bodes well for them to have him. I think he's in double figures now, so yeah, you know he could be an important player for them. Yeah, it's just I think the problem, the problem is it's so tight down the bottom in the league. Even actually, maybe not even just down the bottom. Is it like mm. I think four points separating fifth and eleventh? Motherwell and Dundee United in 21 and then you've got Kilmarnock, St. Johnson, Hamilton all in 17. So even the likes of Motherwell and Dundee United need to look over their shoulders in terms of are they mm. going to be safe. Um, so, I, it's kind of crazy down there. Um, Dundee United looked like they were out of the game. Hibs had, had loads of chances but just weren't clinical enough and they get a, an equaliser and I think stoppage time, wasn't it? 
It was, yeah, yeah, just a classic case of missed chances coming back to to bite, really. Uh, but I mean, got to pay credit to Ben Seagrest in goals for United. He had some fantastic saves yeah. throughout the whole course of the game. So he's looked good most yeah. of the season. I think I think he's probably been their best player. I think. Yeah, yeah, and it's really come to the fore this season when United have been in the Premiership and probably, you know, conceding more chances in games than they were in the in, in the Championship. Because um, he was always highly thought of in the in the Championship, I think. But you know, you wouldn't really see that as often as you're maybe doing now. So, um, yeah. no, I've been a huge player for them because they're not scoring many either. Oh. I mean, Shackland's only scored two mm. all season. Dundee United are Tony's favourite team, aren't they? Listen, I, I've got a bit of a reputation about Dundee United. Right? <laughs> all I've said consistently, consistently is that they've got issues attacking and going off. I mean, getting goals. They're a really negative team for my liking. And sometimes, in my view, it hinders them badly. Because I don't think they're strong enough to play the football that they think. That, well, Nicky Mellon seems to think that they should be playing. Um, but, yeah, I'm not their manager. So, I I, I, I I stick to my opinion. You know what I mean? I, I think they should be attacking a wee bit more and they would do better. But, they, they seem to like the, the defensive aspect of the game. They're, they're doing well. I think they're punching above their weight just now. And um, If you don't concede too many, then you're always in my chance. But I understand your point in terms of I, would they have, the strikers they've got, certainly, they could be scoring more goals. Um, the, the, only, the, what have they got? I'm just having a look at the thing at the moment. They're an actual four. They've scored 14 goals and conceded 23 Minus nine are on at the moment, um, goals-wise. Um, just try to see. Only Ross County and St Mirren have scored less goals. Ah, there you go. Yeah. Right. My point is proven. So... <laughs> <laughs> they keep off in the championship. They're doing they're safety first, I think. Um, but I have noticed a lot of change in terms of Mickey Mellon. I think Mickey Mellon at first was like, right, I'll try and be pragmatic and stuff like that and mm-hmm. be tight. Whereas on Saturday, I think he said he was quite disappointed after the game in terms of how they played. So maybe you'll see a change of approach. Uh, but mm-hmm. the main thing for them is staying up. They stay up and then they've got the points on the board. Maybe then you'll see a wee bit more freedom. I think for Hibs as well. Uh, Hibs, I've got this thing. I've been, been a great team to watch. But they never seem to get the results when the results matter. Like to me, that should have been a three points for them. You know, yeah. home and all the chances, as you said, that they had. Um, there's been so many games like that, that they've had this season where they've been brilliant to watch, but they just can't convert. And yet, they do score goals. That, that's the thing. But I think it's just at the back, they're always likely to lose a goal as well. Um, I, I think if they can. If first track can get that sorted, you know, next season, God knows, if they can just get a bad consistency, they could well be a third, who knows, third team, you know what I mean, maybe even challenging for second, if they can get that wee bit of consistency, because they are a good team to watch. Oh, they, they play some lovely stuff, yeah. yeah. Um, and they, again, they've got attacking players in their, their side as well. Um you know, Doidge, uh, Boyle, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a, a joy to watch on their on their day, but uh, it's always been the, 
the case that they've had the soft centre kind of levelled against them. Mm. It's something that they did look at one point to have improved on, you know, in the early stage of the season. Uh, but uh, there have been some frustrating ones for them recently. They they lost quite heavily at home to Motherwell recently as well, mm. didn't they? Yeah. Um, we touched on last week about how Rangers would face pressure if they don't win the League Cup. But now, obviously, they're out. The pressure's now on Hibs. So mm. interesting to see how Hibs got on with that. Um, uh, massively, you know. yeah. Especially after what happened in the in the, the Scottish Cup semi final yeah. against Hearts. Uh, it's yeah. a huge, huge um, kind of well, two potential games coming up for Jack Ross. The provided they get through the semi final, that is. Yeah. Historically, they're not a club that deals well with pressure. I mean, as we said about the playoff against Hamilton, where they were big favourites, and that happened. I mean, the only time I can really ever really think of was probably the League Cup in 92 and the Scottish Cup, you know, but when they won, um, they were big favourites to win. But if you think of other times, how many times you went into Edinburgh derbies, but mm-hmm. Hibs were like the clear favourites. Everybody said, Hibs will win, Hibs will win, and they would get beat. And what you were saying as well, Andy, about how many times it took Hibs to get up um, yeah, after yeah. being relegated. Um, Absolutely. Uh, historically, as a club, I mean, we, everybody used to joke about it, didn't we? We always used to say, oh, they've hamstered about your own <laughs> team. Yeah, that, yeah. that was like a saying for so long. Um, and I feel, I do genuinely feel sorry for Hibs fans because sometimes when they're favourites, they must really dread it. They must hate it. I think they like being that kind of middle team. You know, they could win it, but not favourites. Aye. Jack, Jack Ross has been a good job though. though yeah. He's getting good players in, I think, as well. If they manage to hold on to him and maybe kinda of build on something. I think there was a, a comparison with McInnes and McInnes in terms of winning the the League Cup in twenty fourteen after mm. t- obviously taking over from Brown. So whether Jack Ross can do something similar, he's got a bit of a not an open net as such, but we had an easier time back then in terms of winning the League Cup. Maybe Jack Ross will feel the same. That it's a good chance for him to win that, and then maybe kind of push on for it. Well, he's done a great job as Simon. I've got a lot of mates, um, Simon fans, because I'm from Paisley, obviously, and they all thought he was a great manager. He done really, really well with them. Um, he just, in my opinion, picked the wrong English team to go to. He went to Sunderland, which is like a basket case of a club, yeah. to be honest with you. Aye. You know, um, well, his, but, uh, his replacement's already out of work, I think, yeah, and that's already? just over a year. Yeah, Parkinson, I think, lost his yeah. job not long ago. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that, that that's the only thing with him. He, he chose the wrong English club. I think if he genuinely went to another English club, he probably would have done well. A club that would have given him a wee bit of time um, yeah. to stamp his philosophy. Um, and I think Hibs is a good fit for him because Hibs historically like to play that kind of football that he likes, which is attacking football. So it fits well for both of them. Um, so I, I think he will do well for Hibs in the long run. Yeah, thank you. Thank you definitely will. Uh, but we'll move on to the, the lower leagues in terms of the prediction game that we now do. So unfortunately, we lost again last week. Ali Graham <laughs> is now 5-3 ahead. So now the games we picked last week were in Fairland, uh, sorry, Dundee and Fairland, Montrose, Dumbarton, and Kildenbeath Brecon. Um, and Ali got a correct score. He had Kildenbeath to beat Brecon 2 0. So he got that. Um, the Dundee and Fairland game seemed crazy. I think Dundee were 3 0 up. Yeah. They were. And, yeah. off, and then it was 3 all. Um, and then Montrose, they won convincingly 4 0. So I never told you this before the podcast, Andy, but 
you are representing the podcast this week in the oh, game. So what we do pressure. is we pick a game from the championship, we pick a game from League One, and we pick a game again from League Two, and you're up against Ali Graham. Um, so Boxing Day, the championship. I'll write these down. Um, I don't know if you have you looked at the games, Tony. I've got them up just now, but maybe watching this, we'll come up with what we want is the the games from that league. Yeah, uh, I'm thinking. I've like. got one in mind. I'm thinking Morton and Inverness. Inverness, yeah. That's you're thinking that, that was a game that jumped out to me. To be honest right. with you, okay. aye. So, Morton versus Inverness will be the championship game. What do you think, Andy? In terms of prediction, I am going to go for. Inverness to bounce back this weekend um, but I think it'll be quite tight I'm going to say 2-1 two, 2-1 one. Two, one to Inverness right, okay. just to let you know there's no Division 2 games because of the Scottish Cup yeah what we'll probably do um, let's see we'll pick at least one game from League 1 and then we'll look to decide Mm. Who we pick as the other? I think no doubt about it. The game we need to pick is Falkirk and Portsmouth, and then we decide whether we pick another game from the Championship or another game from League One. So Falkirk, Partick Thistle, which is obviously what first versus second. Falkirk lost the first game of the weekend, not at the weekend even uh, the season. Yeah, was that the entry? The game be by yes. yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. Partick, I mean, I've, I've not followed League One too closely, but I think Partick Thistle have come back into a wee bit of form after a, a slow start in recent weeks, have they? They have. They lost in the beginning as well. Um, Aye. That's a, that's a close one to call. I'm going to stick my neck out a wee bit here. Okay. I'm going to say 1-0 to Partick Thistle. Oh, here we go. See, that would put that league up in there. We were talking in the, mm. with a lower league podcast with Ali Graham, and we all had the feeling that maybe uh, Falkirk could kind of run away with that league. But it was depending right. on them getting a, a couple of good results against ALJ and Party Thistle. So, first game hasn't gone so well for them. Um, and then, yeah, the, the game at the weekend is massive um, in terms of League One. So, Tony, what do we think we want to go for as the, the third game? Anything that stands out for you? I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking at the Championship and I mean, Queen of the South Dundee could be a good one because both teams need a win, to be honest. I mean, yeah. Queen of the South need a victory to get off the bomb and Dundee really need a win to push them back into the, the playoff situation. A draw, yeah, and a, yeah. a, a draw and a defeat for either of those teams is really no use to them. That's I the ha- only one I can see. Happy enough to go with that. Yeah, we'll go for that then. I think am Andy? going to say... 3-0 Dundee. Oof, there we go, 3-0 to Dundee. Um, seen both teams recently and I'm a bit concerned about Queens, if I'm being honest. Uh, I think they're, they're they're quite an inexperienced team. Uh, obviously, they've got Dobie, but just not really been giving him the, the service he needs and he's not getting any younger as well. Yeah. Have you seen much of Dundee this season in terms of a couple of times, um, saw them up at Brora earlier in the season, but I saw them recently up at Inverness, a 2-2 draw, and they were actually really good that day. They were, yeah. Had to come back to salvage the point quite late on, but they'd been leading earlier on the game as well. Um, no, they, they were playing some really nice stuff that day. I 
get the sense that they, despite their missed opportunity on Saturday, I, I think their their struggles of the early part of the season are largely behind them. So, yeah, no, I, I think they'll kick on with a comfortable win there. Aye, I mean they've certainly got goals in their team, and you you expect them to be higher up where they where they are just now. I don't know whether the Adam injury was anything serious or just a a knock. Uh, I suppose that would be the main concern, but they seem to have tightened. I mean, I suppose it maybe not the Dunfermline game, but the, the signing of Liam Fontaine uh, seemed to have stemmed the flow of goals against a wee bit. Um, Is that the boy used to be a Hibs? Hibs, and then he was up at Ross County mm-hmm. as well more recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always thought he, yeah, I thought player. he was always a, a decent defender, though, lad. Yeah. Right, so we've got Morton versus Inverness. We've got an away win, Inverness win 2-1. Falkirk against Partick Thistle, away win, Partick Thistle. And actually, they're all, all away wins. Three away so wins. I get that in your coupon. Get that <laughs> in your coupon. Three away wins. That'll give you a wee bit of a nice Christmas bonus on Boxing Day. Aye. Money or anything, unless you're shopping online, though. <laughs> Basically. Just, yeah. Aye, that, that probably does have the potential to be a nice wee earner. Aye. If it ever happens. <laughs> For that. So, right, aye. I thought we would uh, we'd give you the honour of representing the podcast as we can do. I don't know whether to thank you or curse you for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it can be a bit of a curse. Like, we had Donald on last week and we got him to represent the podcast and he was like, sorry, lads, after Ali Graham uh, went up 5-3, but we've not been doing particularly well, so... No. Nah. Well, we'll see what happens. It's early days. Apologies in advance. Apologies, <laughs> if that's eh? Uh, if Valley gets more than like eight games ahead of us, we'll just call it quits for COVID reasons. Uh, well, end of the season. Co- <laughs> well with new, but this new variant, maybe that will sink us anyway, uh, which isn't so good. So I think we've managed to cover most of what we wanted to cover in terms of the, the football itself. The only thing I wanted to touch on, um, it's maybe been overshadowed a wee bit because of the Ross County situation, is Martindale's obviously got the levy job. Um, yeah. Seemed like sensible enough. Yeah, I think everyone thought that was going to happen anyway. I think so. Um, I think it, it, it largely is a continuation, you know, of what Livingston have been doing because Martindale's been heavily involved in, you know, the last few management teams. So, you know, he's obviously been a major part of the the coaching that's gone on there and the, you know, the the style of play that you know they're trying to to work to there. His record as interim manager couldn't really have been any better. They've got a semi-final to look forward to at Hamden next month. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, I, I, I think in terms of continuity and just trying to trying to get a bit of a you know a, a lifting factor as well, because the I don't think they'd been doing a massive amount wrong. You know, it was a a, a bit of a surprise when Gary Holt left yeah. in the way that he did, but. Um, you know, I think he seems to be quite a popular character around the club, so I, I think the appointment will probably go down quite well with you know the players that they've, they've got there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so it's Christmas time, obviously. So we're going to have a wee bit of fun. We did a wee bit in the lower league uh, podcast on our night in terms of we have like slow fire questions where we want to call them quick fire. So, what is your favourite Christmas song, Andy? Favourite Christmas song? Oh. Uh, I'm going to go for Step Into Christmas, Elton John. Oh, that's a good tune. That was on the in the car, right? It's a good tune. Um, Tony? 
Mistletoe and Wine, Cliff Richard. Oh, God. I love that song. Oh, my God. This is almost as bad as the other night. So this question that I'm going to ask, right, is what is your favourite item on a Christmas plate, Christmas dinner? Ali Graham said it was Brussels sprouts. Oh, pigs and blankets. Exactly. Pigs and blankets Uh is the only answer. It is the right answer, the only answer. Andy, don't let me down. What is your favourite item in a Christmas dinner plate? Sorry, I can't look past the main event, the turkey itself. Turkey? Oh, yeah. I'm not a fan of turkey. Stuffing balls can be quite nice. You know, no, stuffing, like stuffing is very good, actually. Yeah. I like a good stuffing at Christmas. No, is always good. No, I, I, I'm a big fan of turkey. That's a Aberdeen uh, fan, I, like, I do like a roast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah we, we started with a bit of smoke we ended with a bit of smoke um, so that's right so you're going for the the turkey and Tony you're the pigs and blankets oh, yeah oh, oh, yeah well, see what I've noticed though this year I've never noticed it prior to this year but you've now got all sorts of in blankets chicken and blankets yeah. I seen even earlier oh, no, no, he's no, in blankets it's... Well, it's the same with the turkey itself. It's it's the one roast that you don't ever have throughout the whole year, just because you have to have it at Christmas time. And yeah. nah, pigs and blankets are part of that same discussion. No, do you no know what? It, it really annoys me when people get carried away. It's like when Celtic get rid of the traditional mince pies and brought steak and ale pies into the ground ah. for a season. It really annoyed me. <laughs> I thought you're getting too creative on me. I mean, stick to, stick to what you know. The staple yeah. diet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Favourite Christmas film? Elf. Elf. I'm not mass. <laughs> I'm not massive on films, if I'm being honest. I, this is a. This has really put me on the spot. I went for Home Alone. <laughs> I'm not a big film lover either. But yeah, I could probably watch most I, of the time and not get too bored of it. I'll probably side with you on that one. Actually, yeah. Oh, and I, I do like Santa Claus the movie, by the way. I should intervene there. Are you a bit of a Christmas film lover? I do like my Christmas films. Oh, see, I'm, uh, I'm not a big fan. Like, uh, like, we try and watch a film every night, me and the missus. Aye. Uh, yeah. I was thinking you've got the excuse to do one, but no, it's when they go to bed, depending on your oh, films. I, I watched two with him today. I watched, them, watched The Grinch and I watched The Muppets Christmas Carol, which is also a classic. I mean, that's uh, a very good one. Yeah. Yeah. Aye, that, that's a, that is a classic, aye. Um, so this one, I'll maybe ask it in two parts. What's your best Christmas present ever? That you've got, like, you're that wee kid and you're thinking, all right, I've asked for this, but there's no no chance I'm getting it. My first iPod was quite a good one, I remember. That was seems like a long time ago. Yeah. Um, I know that was, that was quite a cool one, just to be able... Because it was back in the days when you... You had CDs and you were able to just upload your CDs all onto the one device that yeah, yeah. you could listen to, and what a novelty that felt like. Aye, aye. Good choice. I like it. Yeah. Tony? Um, the one I always remember being probably the happiest about is when I was a kid, I got the uh, Boba Fett Star Wars um, spaceship. So I would have been yep. six yep. or seven. So every time, because I, I watch The Mandalorian now, so every time it comes on, I always say to the missus, oh, I used to have that ship when I was a kid. And I think she's just fed up for me to reliving my youth, talking about it. And inside it, when you used to open it up, I actually had... Um, and Solo in the cabin. Solo, but yeah, that's right. Yep, yeah, yep. You'd, you'd be able to take it out. Yeah, I had and, it, yeah. And do you know what? It's only to the Mandalorian's been on, I've actually known what way it's supposed to fly. I always flew the other way. 
Yeah, so yeah, you kind of you kind of learn something new. Um, and then the, the two part, the second part of it is: what's your best football-related Christmas present? Anything that stands out? Got this massive painting of Pataudry, um which um, it's basically it's a, it's a oil painting that was um, based on a, a picture from the, the view from the top of the Broad Hill. Okay. So shows all, you know, Pataudry, but with the backdrop of all the lovely granite buildings that are <laughs> surrounding it. Uh, some of them nicer than others, but ah, you know, just just as I suppose as a wee home from home, it's uh, it's right. a nice one that takes pride yeah. of place in the house to this day. So, Sorry. Tony, Andy sounds really good compared to mine. By the way, mine's was. Do you remember when Umbro used to do the manager jackets? Okay, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I got the Lou Macari Celtic one. Oh, was dear. Um, the Umbro. And it was nice. like, Man United had it with Alex Ferguson. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was kind of like, uh, it was black with green green stripes going down it. And it was like, um, when you opened up, a dead coated inside. And oh, I loved it. It was, oh, it was one of the best football jackets I've ever had. And I had it for years, and I got it for Christmas '94. I would have been. Okay, um, oh, so yeah, but it cost quite a bit of money back then. Sports Connection, I got it from. Yeah, yeah. So I, that's probably the, the one I always kind of remember the most. Good. All right. Uh, I think that's it. That's the Christmas questions over. Unless you guys can think of any that are good. Or any any uh, Christmas games that you remember in particular, even over the festive period. But what's been the your one you remember most? I always remember again. This is like the early nineties, going to a Celtic Falkirk game at Parkhead, and it was really, really, really bad. And and the snow just battered down during the whole game, and Falkirk were two 0 up, and Celtic came back to win three two. I think Gary Gillespie scored. One of the goals. Yeah, um, but always stand out because um, I don't know if you've ever tried to leave Celtic Park or the old Celtic Park, but it was like um, it was icy everywhere. And you had to go down the hill at the bottom of the main stand, and I always remember Monkle falling, like literally um, sliding the whole hill down and just watching him go <laughs> as he fell in the ice. But um, I um, that, that's the thing that I always remember and. Hearts at Tyne Castle. Um, we could, I think we could beat 1-0 and then we could call the game off because there was so much snow in the terracing. Right. Um, uh, yeah, that's the two I remember. The two two that stick out for me, both at Pataudry, um one of them Tony wouldn't like actually. It was uh, it was a game around about 2001 where uh, it was remembered for Darren Mackey sliding in and Rab Douglas late on in the game to... Oh, yeah, um, I remember that. 2-0. Yeah. And Robbie Winters had scored a penalty quite early in the game. But, um, I, I, I mean, it was really icy conditions getting to the game as well. I think it might even have been delayed. Um, but there, the uncovered section at the south stand, uh, some of the Aberdeen fans had taken snowballs in and, and Neil <laughs> Lennon and Alan Thompson came over for a corner and ended up getting pelted. <laughs> um, I wasn't the end of the ground I was at. <laughs> oh, a lightly story, Andy. A lightly story. Aye, <laughs> and, aye so that I, mean, I'm, I was just a, a young lad at the time, sort of 10, 
nine or ten years old, so it was you know, probably the first time I'd seen Aberdeen beat Celtic, probably. Um, it just it stuck out as being a huge result because it was a wonderful Celtic team. I think it was maybe their only defeat that season. They, they did win the league that year. Mm. Um, the other one that sticks out was a slightly more recently, but uh, not too long after that, when Aberdeen beat Copenhagen 4-0 at Pataudry and yeah. Jamie Smith scored the two wonder goals. Early on in the second half, uh, Aberdeen knew a win of any sorts would send them through to the knockout stages. And uh, well, as it happened, that's, uh, <laughs> that's how it went. And they drew Bayern Munich the next day. I remember being at school and uh, just all the excitement building that Dons were playing against Bayern Munich. So uh, that was a, a good period, that one. What about you, John, mate? <sighs> trying to think Maybe not that close to Christmas, but I remember a game against St Mirren in the, I think it was the Scottish Cup. Might even been this, was it the Scottish Cup League Cup? And it was terrible weather, absolutely awful weather. And Rory McCardo scored an equaliser in stoppage time. I think it was actually just after January. But it's oh, a game that sticks in my mind because the weather was horrible. It was oh, one of those things you think it probably should never have been played, but it was played and aye, it was good. So that. Oh. Do you know what I, I, I do miss? I, I miss, like, um, in the winter. You don't get it as much now because most teams have got under soil heating. But you used to have to, like, check grandstand to see if the game was on. <laughs> yeah. Remember that? You used to ask to have to check. They would tell you, and they would say, the games that are off. And you'd be like, please don't let me this game. Because you're literally ready to go to the game. Um, uh, so you'd have all that kind of nervousness. You'd be checking the weather outside even though you're like miles away from where the game is, I'll be fine, I'll be fine, you're telling yourself. because uh, no, the festive games are a great day out as well, because there's yeah. quite, a lot of people, quite a lot of people that maybe don't normally go to the games that live away from home, yeah. that are just mm. happen to be back for the festive period, and yeah, it's just always a great time to, to sort of meet up before, after the game, for a few beers. Uh, no, always a great atmosphere at the... At, at the games around about this time of year, which uh... and it's, it's dark early as well, so it's like floodlights. So ah, the like game's under the floodlights, isn't it? So, oh, it's lovely. It's all there. Mm. It's a very British thing, though, isn't it? To like play games over Christmas. All the rollings like yeah. seem to like stop, but here it's tradition. Play as many games as you can over the festive period. No, right. for that this year we'll be particularly pleased because like all we we'll do is sit in the house and watch football. My. Yeah, that's, that's the only thing for it, really, isn't it? So, no, that was good. Enjoyed that. Um, I think that wraps it up. Pardon the Christmas pun. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, thanks for coming on again, Andy. Good to chat again. We'll get you on Brilliant. sooner. Oh, uh, pleasure. Thanks very much for having time. us. Really, really enjoyed that. And, uh, I hope to be involved again before too long. Like, uh, Aye, absolutely. Oh, that, that was brilliant. Really enjoyed that. And, uh, Tony, a pleasure as always. Oh no! Again, it's it's great, and as I said, I mean, Ross County. As I said earlier on, like uh, it's probably something I'm not too familiar with. So it's great to hear about what happens um, up that end of the world and how things go on and everything. Else. So I um, cheers, Andy, for coming on. No, oh, nice to nice to meet you, Tony. Hopefully, nice. we can do it properly at some point. <laughs> oh, definitely. I think you'll be busy anyway, Andy, over the next uh, the next week or so. Anyway, with with John Hughes, so. Yeah, yeah. No, Enjoy so it. It's going to be really interesting to see how it all unfolds. So, no, looking forward to it. Uh, right, so cheers again and uh, Merry Christmas to all our listeners or, and mm. that. And we'll see you, uh, well, I'm going to say see you, but we'll, 
we're having our podcast out after Christmas anyway. So, right, cheers, guys. Merry Christmas, everyone. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.